Well, today's reading is a selection from the book of Proverbs. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and, do not let, your, or, and let it, not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are uh, right now basically at three-week countdown, last three weeks of our summer sermon series that we've been doing on the book of Proverbs called Wisdom um, for Living. And so looking to Proverbs in the midst of living in uncertain times, uh, how do we live wisely before God? Um, not, you know, when we don't have a kind of list of rules that clearly apply, but, but we, we need some principles that are going to provide us with the kind of guidance that we need to live in the midst of uncertain, unprecedented, brand new situations. And we've seen that, that Proverbs has a lot to offer. And Proverbs is this book, it's associated with Solomon and, and you know, who he, uh, you know, oh, who most famously asked for wisdom, but it's this kind of training manual for uh, wise leadership in the world. And so it, 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 it contains both kind of a philosophical reflection on just the value of wisdom itself and very practical kind of down-to-earth principles and aphorisms for dealing with common circumstances that we all face in life. And so, so far we've, we've looked at wisdom, you know, when it comes to anger and we've looked at wisdom when it comes to work and when it comes to, to friendship and and, and family, and, and today we're going to examine what Proverbs has to say about a very real but also a very uncomfortable aspect of life, and that is how to engage in conflict. Now, conflict is, is unavoidable. It's just an aspect of what it means to be a human being, and it, it emerges whenever we have a, a disagreement with someone or, or, or someone feels like they've been mistreated in some way, and they decide that they're going to say something about it. Proverbs says, and it started with this, our passage, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now, the word hatred, it's a, it's, a, it's a strong word, and it has a broad semantic range. It can just mean um, ill will. You know, whoever conceals their ill will has lying lips. And so, so Proverbs is saying, let's just be honest. Let's keep it real. That, that we all have feelings of ill will. 
feelings of animosity, feelings of anger or hurt that we carry around inside of us. But that's not an excuse, on the other hand, the second part of that verse, to engage in slander. And so wisdom comes in how do we deal with the one without then reverting to engaging in the other? How do we carry our ill will in such a way that we can engage in conflict well as opposed to engaging in it in a way that just furthers a pattern or cycle of destruction? And, you know, for some people, conflict, I say conflict is an uncomfortable, it's not a fun part of existence. You know, for some people, uh, it's not that big of a deal. They're almost kind of constitutionally built in order to be able to engage in conflict. They're more of a confrontational type of person. For uh, when I do marriage prep with couples, I use a tool called uh, Prepare Enrich. That's a really useful tool. I just, I just use Prepare Enrich with Luke and Katie, and they're still married. It's doing great. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're two months in, and it's serving them well, I know. But... Um, but I love Prepare and Rich, and it's, it's, it's one of these inventories you do, you answer these questions that one of the fascinating things you get to at the end is you get to look at, at how it kind of scores your personality, uh, and they use an acronym for that, it's the SCOPE acronym, to, to scope out your personality, and it's, it's actually based off of, um, if you have any knowledge of, of kind of the psychology of or personality or this psychometric evaluation of personality. There's the big five personality traits that ocean is like the, um, is the way I've seen it in other settings. Those are the big five personality traits. Well, in Prepare and Rich, those are our scope. And our personality really plays into how we handle, how we deal with conflict. And, and scope is just if you're keeping score at home, it's, you know, social, basically, like how, how much you prefer social situations, change, organized, and then the last two are the big ones, the P and the E, the pleasing versus emotionally steady. And it's really those two that have a lot to do with how we naturally kind of deal with and engage in conflict. And so pleasing, it measures um, the degree to which someone values and attempts to create social harmony. So if you're high on the pleasing scale, you know, you're going to tend to uh, minimize uh, differences and, and look for a commonality. Um, you're going to be more of a team player. And if you're lower on the pleasing scale, you're just going to be much more comfortable kind of being a lone wolf or standing on your own. Or you're not going to just go along to get along. And so, you know, you can see how naturally if someone's a little lower on pleasing, they're going to be more comfortable with conflict. And then there's the E, the emotional steadiness. And that's just measuring really how much does, like, what's your capacity, your threshold for stress? How much do certain situations really ratchet up your stress level so that you try to avoid them? You don't want to deal with them. And so for some people, they could be in what you would see as the most stressful situation possible, and it doesn't even raise their pulse, you know, one beat. And, and for other of us, you might say, well, that's not even a big deal. But, but if you're lower on the emotional steadiness, you're experiencing it as really kind of a, a crisis. And so we can see just our innate personalities can make it easier for some of us to engage in conflict than others. And, and, and other ones of us, it seems like we're just kind of genetically predisposed to want to avoid it. And for myself, I'm kind of a middle, middle of the road, middle high on the pleasing scale, and kind of middle low on emotionally steady, and so I don't naturally find conflict to be a super fun or enjoyable experience. But nevertheless, it's a part of life. And so the question then is, is what can I learn 
from Proverbs, from this scriptural wisdom, regardless of, of whether it's something that, that comes naturally to me or not. And the same is true for all of us in this room. What can we learn about how to engage in it well, wisely? Because the end goal of conflict is resolution. It's, it's to bring about understanding where there's been misunderstanding or, or, or healing where there's been hurt Reconciliation, where there's been a a rupture in the relationship. Peace, where there's anger. Forgiveness, where there's been wrong. Right? Conflict serves a purpose, and and doing it well is so important if we're to maintain relationships over the course of a lifetime. And in Prepare and Rich, it says, you know, the research shows that actually the level of conflict in a relationship is not correlated at all with the people's level of satisfaction in their relationship. You can have a ton of conflict in a relationship, and, 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 and it doesn't hurt someone's sense of satisfaction in that relationship so long as it feels like that conflict is productive, that it's leading somewhere, that it's doing something. And, and, and so that's what I want to say is the hopeful word about conflict, is, is that it doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all. It doesn't have to be this destructive thing. It can actually be a really healthy tool in our toolkit. And we can't have community. We can't have true, genuine community without conflict. And so we need to heed these words of Proverbs in order to do it wisely. And so with that, I offer you this morning what we see in our passage as the, 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 the don't and the do's of conflict according to Proverbs. And there are more don'ts that I see in this passage than, I, than, than, than the do's, but both are important. And so let's just dive right in. So the first don't is don't belittle. It says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. And in fact, the literal translation of that is, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks a heart. Is heartless. Now, we know why they translate it sent, because in the Bible, the heart is not the seat of emotions. It's like what we would maybe even call the mind. It's much broader uh, in terms of that. But, but saying you don't have a heart, you don't have understanding if you're belittling your neighbor. And the problem with belittling, we know that when we do that, is we're immediately placing ourselves in a a hierarchical relationship with the person with whom we are in conflict. We're we're putting ourselves over and against, over and above that person. We're we're putting ourselves ultimately in the place of God as we we place ourselves in the judgment seat. We're, We're lording it over them. And it's really only from that position of belittling someone of placing ourselves above them, that we can continue to harbor resentment. And resentment is that acid, that toxic acid that gets poured on relationships um, across which there can be no breaching of that divide. And so resentment is the thing that we, we have to try our hardest to avoid because as soon as that creeps into a relationship, it is so difficult to recover from. And so we always want to be careful that, that we, we don't place ourselves in a position of superiority where we're thinking, you know, I am right and they are wrong. You know, I am smart. They are dumb. I'm innocent. They're guilty. You know, I'm good. They are bad. Because as soon as we do that, there's really no overcoming that gap. And so that first don't is so important. Don't belittle. Don't diminish. Don't place yourself above your neighbor. The second don't 
is this, don't make your, your private grievances into public matters. And, and really, you know, so there's a lot of talk in this passage about, you know, who, whoever slanders, which is kind of a public expression of ill will uh, towards someone or about someone, and, and it talks about kind of discretion and, 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 and secrets in this passage. But really, I think going public in the way that, that Proverbs is talking about here is it's a way to engage in indirect conflict with someone, right? Talking about someone rather than talking to someone, because um, that sort of sense of, of, of hurt or that sense of anger feels like it needs to go somewhere, but it just feels too risky to actually direct it at that person. And so you just kind of put it out there in the streets. And then, you know, in society, we have a, in our own society, we have a technical definition of, of slander, you know, knowingly spreading lies. But, but, but in, in, in Hebrew, this word slander, it, it can just mean giving a negative report about someone. Essentially, just kind of going out there and, and, and talking smack about someone and talking badly about them uh, to harm their reputation, to diminish what others think of them. And so I think of slander as going out there and trying to build a coalition of people who agree with you that this other person is bad and is worthy of censure. So that's the second don't. Don't just go out there and publicly besmirch someone. The third don't is don't root against the other person. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Now, we're probably all familiar with that uh, German word, schadenfreude. It's one of those beautiful German compound words that combines pain or suffering and joy at the same time. And we've all felt it, right? We've all felt it when, you know, what sort of goes around, comes around. That seeing someone who we're rooting against, uh, seeing them suffer, because it, it satisfies something in us. It, it does satisfy a kind of cosmic sense of justice that we have, right? That, that, that bad things should happen to bad people. It's really, I would say, more of a, a, a crude kind of karmic sense of justice. And I think the problem with this is when we start rooting against people towards whom we harbor uh, bitter feelings, is it, it robs us of our capacity for compassion. It really, deep down, it does make us ugly people. I remember uh, a few years ago, um, uh, linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings, Anthony Barr, uh, delivered uh, what was, a, according to the rules, it was a clean hit. I don't think there's any dispute about that. Now it's against the rules, but at the time it was a clean hit on uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Broke his collarbone. And, um, you know, what was disgraceful about that, I remember as a Vikings fan, was that um, as Rodgers is leaving the field and he's holding his collarbone, you know, people are, are cheering and they're jeering Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, I hate the Packers as much as any other red-blooded, you know, purple-blooded Minnesotan. But, you know, what type of person have I become when I'm taking joy in, in, like, the physical suffering of another person? You know, Aaron Rodgers isn't just some character on a TV screen. He is a human being who, who is suffering, you know, an injury and the frustration of that. But, but schadenfreude, that kind of, you know, uh, tribal mentality, just rooting against someone, not for them to fail on the field to play according to the rules, you know, that type of rooting against, but rooting against someone's own physical health just shows us how schadenfreude can turn us 
in, in to the very type of person that we would never want to be, the type of person we would even claim that we despise. And I even think there's some risk of that in the midst of this pandemic, right? That, uh, you know, we don't just see the stories of people who um, were, you know, anti-vaxxers and then they get COVID-19 and die. And you go, that's a tragedy. Wow, I wish that wouldn't have happened. But there's some people who I sense kind of bleeding over into taking a sick sense of satisfaction that, that, that in the suffering of another person. And that's just a very, very, very dangerous place for us to go. And as we engage in conflict, you know, if we go there, um, it's going to mitigate our conflict being anything but destructive. So that's another don't. So don't be little. You know, don't, don't, don't take public what should be private. Don't root against the other person. And the fourth don't is, is don't get even. It says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. And this is where, you know, we, I think, need to kind of parse a fine line. Because resolving conflict, it can involve restitution. Right? There might be some kind of, you know, reparative payment or, 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 or gesture or act that needs to be made. But payback is not restitution. It's actually a form of retribution. And the reality is, is that in the ways that we seek to get even, we can never get even. If someone hurts you, you hurt them back, does that solve anything? Someone raises their voice at you, so you do the same. Has that solved anything? Someone is thoughtless with their words or their actions or they exclude you in some way. And so is your answer then to do the same thing to them? And the question is always, what does that ultimately accomplish? And the answer that's difficult for us to accept sometimes is it doesn't do anything. And so we've got to free ourselves. And God wants us to be free from, from this vicious cycle of trying to get even. And, and that's really the, the, the first step towards charting a new path, and not just staying stuck in, in, in these quagmires of our anger and our hurt. So don't get even. The fifth don't. Don't keep long accounts. Another way to say this is don't hold on to your animosity, but, but let it go. And, and the best way to let it go is to not keep repeating what caused the conflict in the first place. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Now, Proverbs is not here advocating for a cover-up, saying, you know, if someone does something bad, well, you never can talk about it. No, obviously not. But to cover an offense, as we see in the second line, is to put a lid on it. It's to let a matter be dealt with and to be left in the past. We talk about keeping short accounts, and, and that's inspired by what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's writing this, you know, beautiful poem about love. And, and he says in there, love keeps no record of wrongs. Because so long as we kind of keep that record, and we keep that record as something that we can use against someone time and again, we haven't resolved that conflict. And so if we want to, we've got to keep short accounts. And here's our last don't, which is then going to lead into our, our three do's. Uh, don't jump to conclusions by assuming the worst. 
says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? In other words, don't rush to judgment. And in this age of of pylons and public shaming and digital mobs with their virtual pitchforks, this is an especially necessary caution. Because when we do jump to conclusions, when we assume the worst intentions, then we can create even an imaginary enemy where none exists. And we can get all worked up for no good reason. And so the question is, why would we ever want to do that for self, to ourselves when we could do what is the first do get all the facts and deal with the person directly because as we know from our own circumstances if we've ever been misunderstood that people and situations and circumstances are often more complicated and nuanced than we generally give them credit for so instead of rushing to judgment assuming the worst We should first seek that greater understanding of the situation and the person and what might be at the root of the conflict. And Proverbs has much to say about direct communication, not spreading a bad report. And and even though it can seem hard, it's, it's much better to talk directly with someone and gain clarity than it is to go, you know, go around talking about someone. And this is kind of the the admonition to avoid triangulation, which is where, you know, you talk to someone about someone instead of just dealing directly with that person. I forget who I was talking to, but they said, you know, sometimes it's about just having the hard 15 minutes, uh, which is just going ahead and having the conversation as opposed to leaving it to the side and, and, and avoiding it. And, and, you know, the hard 15 minutes can yield a lot more fruit than the, uh, the less hard, you know, 15 weeks or 15 months or 15 years if we don't deal with something. So that's the first do. Get all the facts. Deal with the person directly. Second do. Do active good to those who have wronged you. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And this is where things get really hard. But the Bible does, it, it, it is honoring our very human desire for revenge here. It's just that the best way to get revenge is to kill your enemy with kindness. And, you know, we think that we, we, we need to... Um, feel our way into forgiveness. And then when we feel like we're ready to forgive someone or that we have forgiven someone, then we can act differently towards that person. But that actually, you know, counterintuitively gets things completely backwards with how things work. And we definitely live in an emotional age. We live in an age where um, our emotions feel authentic. And one of the worst things that you can do is to be an inauthentic person, which is to not follow your, your, your feelings. It feels phony to not act in accordance with how you are feeling in the moment. But that is a pernicious lie. So often our emotions can, 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 can follow our actions and not the other way around. And so we're invited actually by Scripture um, to, to act our way into a new way of feeling as opposed to feeling our way into a new way of acting. And so we don't have to let our emotions run the show. We can do good toward our enemy and then hope and pray and trust that good feelings are going to follow. 
So that's the second do. And then we get to the, the, the third do, and it is this. Speak hard truths in love. And so that's where all of this wisdom has been, been, been leading us, is how do we do conflict in a way that, that it could be said of us that we're doing this. You know, better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, that's a crucial but hard place to get. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Who is a friend that we have that we can trust that much, that they're for us in that way, that they, that they, that they care about us so much that when we hear things from them that we don't necessarily want to, we know that they're not trying to hurt us. We know that they're not trying to destroy us. We know that they're not trying to tear us down, but actually to, to help us grow and mature into the best version of ourselves that we can be. You know, we tend to believe that if someone is saying nice things to us, that those are just, you know, kind of the, that's the spoonfuls of sugar to help the medicine of the criticism go down, which is the truest thing about us. But when we really have a friendship with someone, when we really know that that person is for us, then we can receive from them, you know, words of rebuke, words of correction, words of of criticism, um, knowing that they don't want to destroy us but they care about us and they want the absolute best for us. And having that kind of trust, earning that kind of trust, earning that kind of bond, uh, you know, that kind of relationship, it's such an immense asset. And it is a rare thing. And it takes time and it takes years and it can't be short-circuited. But it's crucial as we become more skilled in the art of living well and being wise. And now to make this a nice round number, so we've had six don'ts, you know, three do's, and so I'll just add one more do to this, you know, ten biblical principles for, for conflict. And the last one this, and this one is the most important of all. Do remember who you are. That in the midst of conflict, interpersonal conflict, we are sinners saved by grace. We are those who have wronged God. We've rebelled against Him in thought and word and deed by the things we've done and the things we've left undone. According to St. Paul, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says that Christ died for the ungodly. But God has not dealt with us as we deserve, but, but gave His own Son to resolve that, that cosmic conflict of sin that's torn through the center of the universe to reconcile us to Himself. You know, God did not pay us back. He paid our debt. And so as forgiven sinners, we can approach our fellow forgiven sinners seeking to extend to them what God has already given to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.